Biden near a defeat, Trump ready to pack CPAC, and the tidal basin is off limits on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. And Ike to you, and Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. joining us, and welcome to episode 360 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. If you hadn't been paying much attention to politics these past four years, or had been in a coma, then it probably wouldn't have struck you as peculiar during this one particular moment last week at the confirmation hearings of Attorney General nominee Merrick Garland. Given what we witnessed from the previous officeholder, William Barr, and his subservience to the Trump administration— it was pretty something to hear Texas Senator Ted Cruz ask this of Garland. As I look back over the eight years of the Obama-Biden Justice Department, in my view, the most problematic aspect of that tenure was that the Department of Justice was politicized and weaponized in a way that was directly contrary to over a century of tradition of the Department of Justice of being apolitical and not a partisan tool to target your opponents. So it is very much my hope, if you're confirmed as Attorney General, that you will bring that reputation for integrity to the Department of Justice and and, and demonstrate a willingness to stand up for what will be inevitable political pressure to once again politicize the Department of Justice and use it as a tool to attack the political opponents of the current administration. There was no recognition by Cruz of Barr or what he did while in office. It was just Ted Cruz being Ted Cruz, showing absolutely no acknowledgement of irony. It kind of reminds me of hearing what former Senator Al Franken recently said of Cruz during a live event in L.A. with comedian Chelsea Handler. I probably like Ted Cruz more than most of my colleagues like Ted Cruz, and I hate Ted Cruz. (laughs) Franken has used that line before, but sometimes it's good to replay it at times like this. Anyway, Merrick Garland is the shoo-in to become the next AG. But one Biden nominee is thought to be in deep trouble, and for a very odd reason. Neera Tandon is the president's choice to head up the Office of Management and Budget. By all accounts, she is eminently qualified for the position. She's a longtime liberal activist who worked in the Obama administration. Her sin seems to be her history of insulting other senators, who will vote on her nomination, via Twitter. Never shy to express her views, she would regularly mock officials, regardless of party, whose views she didn't especially like. That history was too much for Republican senators like Rob Portman, a former budget director himself. Um, I believe that the tone, the content, and the aggressive partisanship of some of your public statements have added to the troubling trend of more incivility and division in our public life. Um, And in your case, I'm concerned that your personal attacks about specific senators will make it more difficult for you to work with them. Just to mention a few of the thousands of negative public statements, you wrote that Susan Collins is, quote, the worst, that Tom Cotton is a fraud, that vampires have more heart than Ted Cruz. Uh, You called Leader McConnell Moscow Mitch and Voldemort, um, and on and on. Another Republican, Louisiana's John Kennedy, was very upset at her tweets aimed at Bernie Sanders. Or at least he said he was. Of course, this is the same Kennedy who called Biden's Interior Department nominee, Deb Holland, a, quote, neo-socialist left of Lenin whack job, unquote. I'm not making that up. The sanctimony dripping from the Republicans' lips was astounding. Let's ignore for a second four years of Republicans ignoring or dismissing incendiary and hateful tweets coming from Donald Trump. How many of them said, when confronted with some Trump rant, oh, I didn't see it, I was out of town, the dog ate my homework? Four years of dodging. 
Now, of course, it's the worst sin possible, coming from a Democrat. This is not to excuse Tandon's history of tweet temper tantrums. Twitter can be a cesspool, a cancer, where the worst of the worst gets to express whatever they want. She should have known better. Many of her tweets were nothing short of juvenile. And deleting tweets now that she's up for a cabinet position is probably too little too late. But the thought of Republicans going ballistic with Tandon's Twitter history after ignoring Trump's history is just too rich. In any event, the thing to remember now is that it's a 51-50 Democratic Senate. So certainly she could lose all 50 Republican votes and still get confirmed, right? Well, yes, until Joe Manchin, the Democrat from West Virginia, announced his opposition. Here's a Fox News reporter reading Manchin's statement. I believe her overtly partisan statements will have a toxic and detrimental impact on the important working relationship between members of Congress and the next director of the Office of Management and Budget. For this reason, I cannot support her nomination. Another Democratic centrist, Kirsten Cinema of Arizona, may join Manchin in opposition. And yes, because of the nasty tweets. That means, at the minimum, Democrats are going to have to get one or two Republicans to make up for the losses. And that's going to be tough. They're working on Alaska's Lisa Murkowski. But, surprise, surprise, she too has been the target of one of Tandon's angry tweets. So, just like the Senate, Tandon's chances of being confirmed are no better than 50-50. One former senator, also known for his wit, albeit in the days before Twitter, is Bob Dole, the 1996 Republican presidential nominee, who is 97 years old, announced he has been diagnosed with stage 4 lung cancer and is beginning treatment. Our thoughts and hugs go out to him and his family. He is one of the giants in modern political history and a true American hero. Anyway, there are two special House elections coming next month in Louisiana, including one in the 5th District, to fill the seat left vacant by the COVID-related death of Congressman-elect Luke Letlow, a Republican. Letlow's widow, Julia, is the frontrunner for the seat, which leads to this week's trivia question. Who is the most senior member of the House who won a special election to fill the seat left vacant by the death of a spouse? Send your answer to trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll select a winner at random from the bunch. The winner will get a fabulous vintage Political Junkie button. Again, that's trivia at krpoliticaljunkie.com. We'll reveal the answer and winner of our last trivia question later in the show, so stay tuned. trial of Donald Trump is over, and most of us have moved on to other, more pressing things. But for the seven GOP senators who voted to convict, they are now experiencing strong disapproval from Republican voters back home. Some have been censured by their state parties. Trump himself has called for their defeat. And Republicans are offering themselves as alternatives when the primaries begin. And probably no one is feeling the pressure more than Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, the only GOP senator who voted to convict, who faces the voters in 2022. Murkowski is no shrinking violet when it comes to standing up to her party. She broke with Trump on repealing Obamacare, Betsy DeVos' confirmation as education secretary, immigration overhaul, abortion and border wall funding, and sanctions on Russia. She even voted present on the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And it wasn't that long ago that Murkowski got in such trouble with conservatives that she lost her own Republican primary back home. In 2010, she was beaten by Tea Party favorite Joe Miller and had to use a write-in route in the general election to remain in the Senate. On the face of it, writing in Murkowski may have seemed a tough challenge, but she won thanks to clever ads like these. 
The word is Murkowski. Could you please define that? Alaska senior senator in Washington who represents all Alaskans. Could you please use that in a sentence? To re-elect Lisa Murkowski, you must fill in the oval and write in her name. Murkowski. M-U-R-K-O-W-S-K-I. That is correct. You get all the easy ones. I'm Lisa Murkowski and I approve this message. Now she's in the right-wing crosshairs once again. Trump will no doubt support a primary opponent. Millions of dollars are going to be spent. What's going to happen? Liz Ruskin covers Alaska's congressional delegation for Alaska Public Media. Liz, welcome to The Political Junkie. Hi, Ken. Thank you. Well, thank you, Liz. Great to have you on the show. Um, Lisa Burkowski, as I said, barely survived that Tea Party challenge in 2010 And since then, I think it's fair to say that the Republican Party has become even more conservative. What is she facing? Right. I mean, she is um, a moderate in an increasingly polarized world. And um, for years, she has been kind of doing enough, trying to do enough to satisfy a few on the right and a few on the left. And she's always looking for this middle ground. And there is increasingly less of it. It's, you know, the, the, there is no middle ground on so many issues, you know, looking for middle ground on abortion and other things that just have no middle ground. And she's been doing that for a long time. The conservatives are completely fed up with her in Alaska. I mean, she's She's really a pariah to uh, conserve the conservative wing of her party. And then um, liberals have been ang- have grown increasingly angry with her, too. There are, lib- there um, are, they liber- there are liberals in Alaska? Yeah, uh, all in uh, one northwest corner of Anchorage <laughs> and <laughs> some parts of Juneau. But, you know. <laughs> in, one, in one apartment uh, building, right? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so she's, you know, the left has been really angry with her lately, too. I mean, even that Kavanaugh vote, they weren't happy. They definitely weren't happy with the present vote. I mean, I should say she voted against Kavanaugh, but then she did uh, a vote trade with somebody who couldn't be there. Right. But so she got recorded as a as a present. But um, that really ticked, even though it wouldn't have changed the vote total, it really ticked off um, the left that she found this very, you know, Murkowski-esque solution to uh, the Kavanaugh vote. And, it, you know, this, things like that, you know, liberals just feel like they can't trust her anymore. And I'm assuming there are still Republicans with long memories who haven't forgiven her for not accepting the results of the primary some 10 years ago. Yeah. And those are called um, Joe Miller and his family. Um <laughs> I think a lot of Alaska voters got fed up with uh, Joe Miller and also Sarah Palin. Um, I do not think Sarah Palin, I haven't actually seen polling, but I don't think she's terribly popular here. So, uh, but yeah, they don't appreciate that um, she split the party on that, that she went against the primary results. But mostly she's just ticked off the right on the issues she's taken that she didn't support. Donald Trump enough and, you know, her latest vote uh, for impeachment. You know, there's no going back to that. Well, that vote, that that guilty vote, I mean, it may not have been a surprise, but it certainly was a risk, you know, given the fact that she's the only one of the seven Senate Republicans voting to convict who's up for re-election next year. I mean, I I looked at the list, you know, as soon as as soon as the vote was taken, I immediately checked to see who's up next year, and it was only Lisa Murkowski. So she's almost, yeah. she's almost uh, you know, walked around with a red cape uh, in front of a bull. The risk is a lot less to her because um, in the fall, Alaskans changed how they select candidates. She really did some big election reform, and we're, we're seeing the results of that now. The ballot measure you know, passed narrowly, and... There was a lot. It was a hard one to understand for people. And I think now we're kind of seeing the implications of it. Well, you know, right. You know, you mentioned to me in an earlier conversation 
that, that, that there's a new election system in the state and it's, it's ballot measure two. And, and you asked me if I thought it was too geeky to talk about. Well, <laughs> I, I say geek away. Tell me, tell me. Geek away. <laughs> okay, so ballot measure two, in, in some ways it, it shares uh, features of the main system. But what it means is that um, she really cannot be primaried. There is no more Republican primary. People can't really come at her from the left, from the right and knock her out that way because now we're just going to have one big open primary. So, so, and so every, everybody is on the same ballot regardless of party. Right, and everyone, all voters get the same ballot. Right. Um, and the top four advance. So you can imagine if there's more than four candidates in a race and one of them's name is Murkowski, that name recognition alone is going to get her a lot of votes um, where the others just are not going to be as well known. And, um, you know, it's just impossible to imagine that she's not going to make it in the top four. So it's not it's not Democrat versus Republican. It's for the top four candidates will be on the November ballot. Right. Um, this this ballot measure really reduces the power of the parties. And um, but it all but it also strengthens the incumbent of any party, whoever the incumbent is, right? I mean if you if you have any right, if you have Don Young or, or Lisa Murkowski or, you know, Dan Sullivan, anytime they're up for reelection and there are four there are three challenges with them on the ballot, well the opposition is split and one would think that the incumbent wins almost any time, right? certainly an advantage, but that's just the primary, the top four advance. And um, so, yeah, an incumbent is likely to make it into the top four. But then in the general, shall I move on to the general? Please. Please, I'm I'm still with you. (laughs) And then in the general, we go to ranked choice voting. Um, Voters will choose their number one and then also their two, three, and four favorite uh, candidates. Um, you have four candidates, so um, if if the top one gets less than fifty percent, which is likely when there are four vetted candidates on the right. on the ballot, um, then you take the fourth place finishers' um, votes and you redistribute them. And then if uh, no one gets fifty percent, then they distribute number three's votes. This sounds very um, calculating, but do you think? That this ballot measure was in Murkowski's mind when she voted to convict? I mean, that that is what everyone wondered, you know, is it has ballot measure to really freed her to take the positions that, you know, she's wanted to take. And, you know, it's got to help a little in terms of, um, you know, she doesn't have to worry about being knocked off from a right wing candidate in the primary again. What if Trump came into the state and he was hollering that Murkowski must go? Now, I know, I mean, I was about to ask you if it would make a difference. It's hard to tell, of course, I mean, comparing Donald Trump to now, February 2021, to uh, the primary and the general election of 2022. But do you think Donald Trump would have a major influence if he said, look, you know, Murkowski must go? What do you think? I know it's a long way away. I would think that that would have, you know, a fair amount of pull. Um, he's, you know, he was more popular in this state than Lisa Murkowski when he was president. That's for sure. Um, I, yeah, I think that would, that would have a lot of influence. Has anybody come up with a name of a possible challenger? Is is Joe Miller yeah. still around, or are there other people? Yeah, there are a couple. One is, you know, Sarah Palin is rumored to be interested. Sarah She doesn't doesn't want to come to Washington. Uh, Yeah, it seems unlikely. She did this very odd video that people couldn't really make heads nor tails of where she's kind of saying, Lisa, this is my house. This is my house. And it's (laughs) showing her pointing at a house, which is in obviously in Alaska, sort of, I guess, saying, look, I'm still a resident. Yeah, I don't know. It was a very weird um, video that people thought, oh, gosh, I guess she's running. When, when all is said and done, when you think of uh, the, uh, the uh, Lisa Murkowski's vote to convict the president, how, how do you think it's playing, not only among establishment, party, regulars, but the rank and file? 
Okay, well, I think that opinions on the Republican side are pretty locked in. You know, you either, you know, wash your hands of Murkowski a long time ago or you're that rare moderate Republican who still, um, you know, really likes her. Um, but on the liberal side, on the Democratic side and the left, I think that that vote really changed things because people on the left, as I said, were, were no longer trusted her. There were a lot of memes of Lucy pulling the football away, you know, that um, they, they just did. They thought that Murkowski would make herself sound like she was going to vote anti-Trump and then she would vote for Trump. And there would, you know, they'd say, oh, Oh, she's so concerned, and you know, and then she would vote with her party. That was the view of her. But after she voted to convict, I think that that really did win over a lot of the left. I mean, did win them back. Um, and there always have been independents, and you know, some number of libertarian um, Republicans who are still with Murkowski. Liz Ruskin is a political reporter for Alaska Public Media. Liz, it was great yes, having you. Yes, I am. Yes, and it was great having you on the program. Geek, geek, oh, geeky and you. all. Well, thank you. We're going to stay in the West and focus on Wyoming. That state is represented in the House by Liz Cheney, daughter of the former vice president, the number three Republican in the House, and perhaps better known as one of only 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. She explained her vote to moderator Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday. Look, I think people all across Wyoming uh, understand and recognize that, that our most important duty is to the Constitution. And uh, as I've explained and will continue to explain to uh, supporters uh, all across the state and voters all across the state, the oath that I took to the Constitution uh, compelled me to vote for impeachment, uh, and it doesn't bend uh, to partisanship. It doesn't bend to political pressure. Uh, it's the most important oath uh, that we that we take. And so I will stand by that, and I will continue to fight for all of the issues that matter so much to us all across Wyoming. And she made it clear that she was not about to back down. That we will not forget what happened on January 6th. The single greatest threat to our republic is a president who would put his own self-interest uh, above the Constitution, above the national interest. You know, we, we've had a situation where President Trump claimed for months that the election was stolen and then apparently set about to do everything he could to steal it himself. Uh, and that ended up in an attack on the Capitol. Uh, five people killed that day. Uh, that's the kind of attack that can never happen again. Our institutions held, uh, but we all have an obligation to make sure that they continue to do so uh, and, and don't look past what happened on January 6th. The backlash to her vote and subsequent comments was fierce. In our last show, we talked about how Matt Gates, the Trump acolyte from Florida who flew out to the Equality State to bash Cheney and call for her fellow Republicans to remove her from the leadership. That gambit failed. But back home, the state GOP voted to censure her and called for her immediate resignation. Liz Cheney put her personal family feud with Donald Trump ahead of the Constitution and ahead of the Wyoming people. We must censure Liz Cheney. And I'm going to give you a word picture. She basically middle-fingered the majority of the people of this state. So what's next for Cheney? Bob Beck is the news director for Wyoming Public Radio and joins us now. Bob, it's great having you on The Political Junkie. It's great to be here, Ken. Nice to talk to you again. It's great to talk to you again as well. Thank you. You know, as I said in the intro, Liz Cheney was one of only 10 Republicans in the House who voted to impeach the president. And many, if not all of them, have gotten blowback from their party back home. How fierce was the response in Wyoming, or especially among Republicans? When you listen to the conservative arm of our Republican Party, Ken, it was very strong. Uh, you Right away, you started to see, started with a small town uh, just to the west of us, but it, you started to see a lot of the county Republican parties wanting to take some action and censure her. Very quickly, one of our state senators uh, said he was going to run against her. Others are considering that still. And it was a very strong blowback. I think they were really angry, uh, a number of them. Now, does that extend to all the Republicans? I think there were a lot of people that were surprised by it, but I'm not so sure everybody in the world hated it. She's clearly a conservative, 
and she always votes the party line. But I remember her taking a very strong stand against then-Iowa Congressman Steve King, uh, a Republican, for his racist comments. And she's been a strong critic of Georgia Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, another Republican. I think what I'm trying to say is that, look, you've been covering Wyoming politics since the days of Ronald Reagan. The Republican Party of Reagan seems far different than today's GOP. Oh, absolutely. And the so and and that is actually even being reflected in our state legislature. We are seeing a push to the right. It's still relatively libertarian, but I will tell you that we're starting to see a lot more conservative issues come up, and that's been going on probably for about 15 years, truthfully. But there was a real strong effort to maybe have like a litmus test kind of thing during the last election in the primary, where if you don't support this issue, this issue, this issue, and this issue, shoot, maybe you should be recalled. Maybe we should give money to an opponent to run against you. And we've never seen anything like that. And part of this is because in our state, our Democratic Party is just non-existent. We have two Democrats in our state Senate uh, today. And how many? uh, uh, out of 30. Oh and so it tells you that uh, when they have a minority caucus, they don't really have to go a long way. They just turn around and talk to each other. And, <laughs> they, they meet uh, in and that phone booth. Sort of, yeah, and, and there's, and there's uh, not many more over in the House. So the Republicans are bored, and I think they just need uh, somebody to argue with, and they just argue amongst themselves. And it's, it, it doesn't play out so much as of yet on the floor of the legislature where it doesn't get nasty amongst each other. But certainly during campaigns, certainly uh, when, when people might vote against, for instance, an abortion issue or something like that, then it gets a little chippy. And we've been seeing that grow over the years. And I think uh, somebody like Liz, who honestly is more conservative than uh, a, you know, a lot of the people that ran when she got elected, she, she is somebody who probably played off of that very well, but uh, she's also sensible, and she's also the kind of person who, you know, she's not doing a lot of things for political gain, if you know what I mean. So when you're talking about divisions in the Republican Party in, in the legislature, for example, we're not talking about conservatives versus liberal, we're talking about conservatives versus more conservatives. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, the Republicans that I was familiar with, and I've covered the legislature since 1985, has always generally been, we're going to hate the federal government, we're going to uh, oppose taxes, we're going to want to reduce spending, and we're going to be very careful about the kind of things that uh, we support. Uh, there have always obviously been a lot of people very interested in social issues, but a lot of those things have never passed in Wyoming. It's just, again, it's generally been a live and let live kind of thing, um, you know, and, and that has always been the position that the majority of Republicans and the leadership of the Republican Party had taken as well. That all started to change a few years ago, and and part of it is I think um, there were some people that got active in the Republican Party that were of a more conservative bent, and then they were able to take advantage of the fact that there were basically no rules on how many people could represent a county uh, on a, an important platform issue, and they were able to kind of start maneuvering it so their platform became extremely conservative. Those moderate Republicans who were in office were blowing off that platform, and so now these these folks have decided that we need to take them to task, and they have been actually targeting specific people over the last couple of years in their own party, think about this, uh, to get them out of office and uh, replace them with people that thought the way some of the party leadership thinks. Trump carried the state last year with nearly 70% of the vote. I think that was his best showing in the, in the entire country. He has since called for Cheney's defeat. How influential do you think he'll be as a, as a former president, especially when it comes to Cheney's primary? You know, it's interesting. Right now, I would say he would be very influential. I, I think, you know, he's, he's kicking the tires on a trip out here. Um, he And if the election was this year... I think he'd show up, and I think that would carry some sway. I, I think she would have 
to fight that. Um, in two years or 18 months, whatever it is, you know, I, I just don't know if that will hang on. You know, she's going to be in leadership in the Republican Party. She's going to be banging on the Biden administration. We all know that. She's going to be fighting very hard for energy. And if she could have a win or two, that's going to be a feather in her cap. And I, you, you just, I mean, I, you know how it is anymore with uh, politics. And, and a lot of this is because of Trump. When he was in office, we forgot what happened last week. We thought it happened three years ago, and there was just so many wild things going on. I think that's the kind of thing that would play to her advantage as time goes on. But, you know, it depends how vindictive he is, if he feels like coming out here right before the primary. He could do some damage, but here's the other thing. I don't see anybody who could beat her. I don't. I haven't seen the name that I said head-to-head. Will would this person beat Liz Cheney? I don't believe in eighteen months that person has exists as of yet. You mentioned, um, I, I guess, I guess when Matt Gates was out there, he was touting a candidate who had already announced, right? Senator Anthony Bouchard, uh-huh. he's from Cheyenne. One of the things we've learned over the years in our state, we have a lot of these legislators who think they've become famous and they run for big seats, right? Uh, whether it's the congressional seats or maybe it's uh, you know to be state treasurer, secretary of state, governor, whatever it is. What you find is that most people have no clue who the le- their legislators are, uh, much less some clown from Cheyenne, if I live in Sheridan, Wyoming, which is 500 miles away. Um, he's going to campaign. He'll get out there, but he doesn't have the status that, that um, she has, as an example. And he, now the one thing that would play into his favor, he was a gun lobbyist before um, he got into office, and that's really what sort of carried him into office. And uh, guns here uh, are big, and we all like to have lots of them in the great state of Wyoming. And uh, Anthony wants to make sure you can have even more. It's it's mandatory, right? You have to have yeah, guns, right? yeah, yeah. If you if you're like uh, admit that you don't have a gun or something along those lines, you're you're ostracized. It's a big deal, and and one of so this is just how big of a deal it is. Anthony Bouchard, when he was a lobbyist, targeted a couple of guys. Oh, don't say that! Don't say that! Oh, don't there you go. Hey, just pause for a second. He focused on okay, a couple there. of guys that uh, you know w- didn't vote for allowing people to have machine guns and things like that in their uh, in their possession and that made them anti-gun. Oh. So he he worked on some of those people to try and get them unelected that kind of thing but it's crazy because everybody is pro gun there there's no problem with that even the democrats aren't going to say they're anti gun you, you have no shot in the state. Don't say that again. Um, <laughs> we have to work. The language is a funny thing isn't it? <laughs> It is. I have to think about that. So anyway, so okay, so we know the party censured her, but what what do you think the boot is in the state? Again, I know we have, as you point out, we have eighteen months to go or something. But what do you think the boot is in the state, as far as you can tell? It's you know our focus in Wyoming right now is a lot of concern because the energy industry has is down for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, Trump was in office for four years and it didn't help necessarily. And now the Biden administration is going to have some actual climate rules and regulations, and that's probably not going to help the cause. Uh, the state, obviously, because of COVID-19, I mean, I don't know if you remember or our listeners remember, but oil dropped to below zero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like our, like our weather today here. You know, it was a, a strong concern. And so our economy is based on energy revenue because the most of us don't pay a lot of taxes and now that that's dipped i think the focus in the state truthfully is on revenue is on how are we going to pay for education uh, are we going to have to pay more in taxes to keep services are we going to lose a lot of services what about our roads and so those are the types of things that are being talked about at the moment and i think that's maybe a bigger focus and and i can see where somebody like liz cheney if she's clever she just focuses uh, on the Biden administration trying to make that situation even worse and that would be a good play Bob Beck is the news director for Wyoming Public Radio Bob it was great having you on the program thank you 
When I first saw him in his briefs on CNN I knew that he was not like ordinary men Head over heels I fell for his shuck and jive Dick Cheney, ain't he the sexiest man alive He's like a barrel of oil, he's crude and yet refined He makes me feel like I've been wine-dined and strip-mined His heart is broken, but somehow he'll survive Dick Cheney, ain't he the sexiest man alive? It's time to reveal the answer and winner of our last trivia question. But first, a mistake in our last contest. I asked, who was the last person who was elected to a House or Senate seat for the first time, but who died before ever getting sworn in? And the answer I accepted was Keith Thompson, the Republican congressman from Wyoming who was elected to the Senate in 1960 but died of a heart attack a month later, before he was sworn in. But Brooks Esser of Menlo Park, California, corrected me. The answer actually is Jack Swigert, the Apollo astronaut and Colorado Republican who was elected to the House in 1982 but died on December 27th, seven days before he was due to be sworn in. Brooks is right, Ken is wrong, and Brooks gets the coveted political junkie button. As for the most recent question, who is the last former White House press secretary to later run for office, there should be no controversy about that answer. It was Pierre Salinger. He held that post under Presidents Kennedy and Johnson, but quit in 1964 to run for the seat that the ailing Claire Engel was giving up. When Engel died in late July, Salinger, who had won the Democratic primary, beating Alan Cranston, by the way, was appointed to the seat by Governor Pat Brown. But, in a surprise, Salinger lost to song-and-dance Republican George Murphy in November. That's a long story to get to the randomly selected winner. And that's Betsy Dickles of Cedar Crest, New Mexico. Betsy also knew that the previous answer should have been Jack Swigert, but she only gets one button. Don't forget, you can always find our political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. Think of all the musicals we have in store. Imagine Broadway Melody of 1984. Yes, now that he's a senator, he's really got the chance to give the public a song and dance. For our final segment of this week's show, we travel to North Carolina, where Richard Burr surprised nearly everyone by joining six other Senate Republicans by voting to convict Donald Trump for his role in the January 6th insurrection and the events leading up to it. Burr, of course, didn't have much to lose. He's retiring next year after three terms in the Senate and five terms in the House. Still, his vote sent shockwaves all across the Tar Heel State, especially since he earlier voted in favor of Rand Paul's motion to call the entire impeachment trial unconstitutional. Predictably, the state GOP voted to censure him, unanimously. In a statement, he called it, quote, a sad day for North Carolina Republicans. My party's leadership has chosen loyalty to one man over the core principles of the Republican Party and the founders of our great nation, end of quote. It's pretty much guaranteed that there will be a ferocious battle among Republicans to see who replaces Burr in the Senate. Mark Walker, a strong conservative who recently left Congress because he was redistricted out of his seat, has already announced. Washington has lost its mind. Job-killing regulations, Green New Deal, defund the police and our military? Seriously? I'm running for the United States Senate because serving others is my life, and I have the experience to fight and to win in Washington. Pastors, mayors, educators, and friends across North Carolina are part of this journey, and it's going to be amazing. Hope you'll join us. I'm Mark Walker, and I approve this message because in North Carolina, Chuck Schumer doesn't get to pick the next senator. The people do. But others are looking at the seat, including Trump's daughter-in-law, Lara Trump. Needless to say, every Senate seat is crucial in a body that has split 50-50. 
Jeff Tiberi is a political reporter with radio station WUNC in North Carolina and the host of the WUNC Politics Podcast, which I'm told is the second best podcast in America. Jeff, welcome back. Ken, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. You know, some people say that Senator Burr's vote to convict wasn't really surprising since he's leaving after next year and he won't have to face the voters again. Were you surprised? I was mildly surprised. I think my reaction in the moment was, wait, he voted guilty. I heard that right, right? That's what Burr just did. We have to remember that back on January 6th, he was the first sitting U.S. senator of the Republican Party to come out and condemn the president. And he did it in no uncertain terms. So that signaled to me that uh, he clearly wasn't happy with the insurrection, with the president's role, however you view it, in the events of January 6th. Uh, So it, it wasn't wholly surprising. But as you note, he did vote in favor of this uh, measure put forth by Rand Paul to not even have the trial because it wasn't constitutional. So there were some Republicans down here in North Carolina who I spoke to who said eh, they were having a tough time with Burr saying, well, the trial is not unconstitutional. The trial is not constitutional, but I'm uh, going to vote for conviction, for guilty. Now for the race to succeed him. Um, Mark Walker, you know, he's the former congressman whose ad I played in the intro. He was the first to announce. What do you make of him? Listen, Walker is a guy who uh, has formed a strong allegiance with the president. Uh, This is somebody who, uh, as you mentioned, was drawn out of his district because of new maps that were drawn, because North Carolina's maps are often among the most gerrymandered in the country. So he did not run for reelection in 2020. Instead, because that was a district that was uh, drawn to heavily favor a Democrat. So Walker really uh, just kind of recalibrating his efforts to take a run at this 2022 Senate seat. And he is uh, he's a Trump Republican, uh, is, a, is, I think, a fair synopsis for it. Um, at the same time, he is a former pastor from um, the Greensboro area. Greensboro is a, a city of about a quarter million people. And uh, Walker has uh, at many instances, tried to reach across the aisle and tried to appear as somewhat of an ally to the black community. There's a historically black college in uh, in, in Greensboro, which is just to say he's, he's very much been a politician um, here for the last seven years or so since he first won that congressional seat. So um, he's an interesting candidate. He will be one of the top tier candidates. But who will be the top tier candidate, of course, I think is going to be largely dependent upon whether or not Laura Trump gets into this race. You know, I remember when he first said that he was going to run for Burr's Senate seat back when he was still in the House. And I think he got the endorsement of President Trump. But as you mentioned, I mean, I mean, that was well before we ever heard the name of Laura Trump. Is she, what is she doing? Is she doing much? Um, is she assembling a team? What are you hearing? From my perspective, what I've learned, what I've seen, Laura Trump is not doing at this point many of the things that you might see a candidate doing who is getting ready to run for U.S. Senate. But of course, the difference between Laura Trump and everybody else is that her last name is Trump. So it remains this very unanswered question. I mean, just a little bit of context and biographical information on her. She is from North Carolina. However, she does not live here at the moment. She lives north of New York City with, um, with Eric Trump, uh, the, the, the former president's second son, and their, and their children. So she would have to come back here and establish residency in order to run here. Um, she has not run for elected office before. Uh, she was uh, a television producer. I believe she worked at it was Inside Edition for a period of time. Um, it would be the first real test of the Trump name. And you're a little bit older than I am, Ken. You would have to tell me if we've ever seen a test quite like this one in American politics. Like, obviously, the Bushes come to mind, but that's different. I I think that that, that's very different. I mean, we're talking not about somebody who was the governor of a state then running for for president, as in George W. Bush. We're talking about a daughter-in-law of the president, somebody who, uh, based on reporting that we've seen, it was not particularly close with the president. But this would truly be a test of the staying power of the name Trump. And one would tend to think that 
She'll have the ability to raise money. She'll be able to tap into national fundraising uh, apparatuses that a primary is going to make her the odds-on favorite, at least initially. But remember, this isn't a deeply red state. This is a state that is right of center, has the, 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 the lightest red hue. But President Trump won here by, by what, a, a percent. So this is going to be, if she jumps in, a really fascinating test about what the Trump name means. And, of course, we have to note what the Trump name means when it's not Donald Trump. It's Laura Trump. This is a different Trump. Will there be the same kind of enthusiasm if it's not him on the ticket? Well, that's interesting. You know, what you when you were talking the fact that she lives in New York and is coming back to North Carolina, um, I, I thank you for pointing out how old I am. But I was, as I was thinking, I remember like when Hillary Clinton moved to New York in 2000 right. to run for the yeah. Senate. Bobby Kennedy moved to New York in 1964 to run for the Senate. Jim Buckley, the brother of William F. Buckley, moved to New York mm. in 1970 to run for the Senate. So yeah. these guys, these guys and gal moved to New York, and uh, Laura Trump is actually moving. But just before I forget, let let, let me throw this out to you, but. Uh, Another note on Laura Trump, she's from Wilmington, North Carolina, coastal city. Uh, and just, uh, you know, apropos of nothing, quiz question for you. She graduated from the same high school as what icon? What basketball icon? Um, Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan. That's right. Wow. They both graduated from Laney High School. Wow. And I saw Pat McCrory's name, the former governor. Is that a possibility? Yeah. I think that Pat McCrory uh, is is still a, a possibility. He loves to be part of the conversation. Uh, and I, I don't say that uh, trying to be overly snarky, but he loves to be part of the, the, the conversation. He now has a radio show. He does a, a, a morning radio show down in Charlotte. It is said to have uh, had some success. He is happy doing it. Um, and, you know, the longer he waits from his time in office, we're now at um, we're now at four years, right? right. Uh, you tend to think, what is his staying power in, term of, in terms of name recognition? And he was not a, ever really a, a particularly popular governor. Um, so I, it's, it's, a po- it's a possibility. But he's also someone that his, his political composition, if you will, has changed over time. He was a seven-term mayor of Charlotte. And when he was elected in 2012, he was seen as a moderate. Yeah, um, right. That obviously changed drastically during his four years of governance with Republican legislative control and with, of course, the bathroom bill. Um, it would be interesting to see him in a primary uh, like that one. You know, we haven't talked at all about the Democrats, and um, I haven't heard many names. Like I heard Josh Stein, the attorney general, is a possibility. I heard Anthony Fox, the former mayor of Charlotte. I mean, what, what names are you hearing? I'm not hearing. I'm certainly not hearing Cal Cunningham. Cal Cunningham is not going to uh, get into this race. I, I, I'm not a, a, a betting man, but I will put money on that. He I think he's finished. The 2022 20, U.S. Senate race. I, he, he, he certainly finished for this, this coming election cycle and perhaps 2024. And remember that he, went, he spent, what, 20 years between elections. Right, so, right, right. Um, he, he may very well be done. So on the Democratic side, uh, the, the, the two top-line names at this point are uh, Erica Smith and Jeff Jackson, both of whom – have been state senators. She uh, did not run for re-election in 2020 because she ran for U.S. Senate. She lost in a primary to Cal Cunningham. She maintained that part of the reason she lost was because Chuck Schumer and the Washington establishment uh, did not back her, did not uh, help her. So it will be interesting to see this time I if see. she is able to tap into that, that infrastructure. We should, mention, we should mention she's African-American. She is. Yes, she, she um, is African-American. There, of course, has never been uh, a black senator, Republican or Democrat from the state of North Carolina. Harvey Gantt, former Charlotte mayor, ran a couple of times and lost to Jesse Helms. In, what years? Um, in the, oh, gosh, 1990 and 1996. That's correct. If Donald Trump went all out to defeat Liz Cheney in Wyoming, for example, um, that may make a big difference because Trump got 70 percent of the vote in Wyoming and was very popular there. He barely won the state of North Carolina. If he came in and said, Laura Trump should be the nominee and I'm going to campaign, campaign hard for her, how effective would that be, do you think? It's a great question. And I, I, I'm happy to speculate for you. <laughs> Some of it's going to depend on how things are going in Washington. Yeah. Right? 
I think that with this unified, and I, I almost go to air quotes because this is the, the, the narrowest of unified government margins that, that we can have because the Senate is 50-50. Um, North Carolina is a very fascinating, dynamic place politically. And yes, Donald Trump here won in 16. He won here by notably less in 20. And his impact come a general election next year is an unknown. It's, it's truly an unknown. Is he going to mobilize and, and spark the perhaps record turnout that we saw just a few months ago? 81% of registered Republicans, Ken, voted in 2020. That was an all-time high in North Carolina. Will we see that again in 2022? To me, there, there are multiple sides of this coin. It's like a hexagonal uh, piece of, of payment. But, but one of the other sides of this coin is, will there be that opposition, that pushback, that resistance to Trump. Could Laura Trump running and Donald Trump campaigning here lead to more independence and more libertarian and more democratic and more progressive people saying anything but a Trump? I think they're both possible, right? You know, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe another example that might be instructive came in 1982. Was it 82? Yeah, I think it was 82. When Ronald Reagan, who was still president, his daughter Maureen Reagan ran for the Senate that year in California and went nowhere. And this mm. was a, still a very pre popular president. I mean, 82 was the economy was tough, but this is Ronald Reagan in his home state of California pushing right. his daughter, Maureen Reagan. And it, the, the Reagan name didn't work. So I just wonder if, if the, the, the Trump name will work, especially for a president's daughter and a president, I'm sorry, a president who's been out of office for a year, the daughter of his daughter-in-law. I grew up in Massachusetts where we had the Kennedy name. We had, we had Jack and Bobby and, and later Teddy, um, all coming from Big Joe. I mean, you have this family, but it was Kennedy is really where the gravitas was. And with Trump, like, yes, I, I acknowledge that's the name on the building and that's the, that's, you know, the surname. But like, is that name going to carry as much clout or is it really about Donald? And I don't, I don't know if we'll know until early November of, of next year or, or perhaps till a, a later election. Jeff Tiberi is a political reporter with radio station WUNC in North Carolina and the host of the WUNC Politics Podcast. Jeff, it's always great having you on the program. Ken, we'll do it again soon. Okay, Thanks. stay well. Thank you. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. And remember, we have Political Junkie t-shirts and Political Junkie socks. It's my understanding that you must buy them. You must have them. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon.